and gentlemen all over the world, you are tuned into the one and the only A Difference in Thought. Uh, here at A Difference in Thought, A Difference in Thought engages and processes current events, culture, philosophy, public policy, and faith through the ancient art of truth-telling. Join the conversation and gain an alternative perspective with A Difference in Thought. This podcast is an honor and a homage of the work and mission of the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and here our core philosophy is basic Basic arithmetic teaches us there can be no difference without subtraction. Before considering where you would like to see a difference in the world, first consider where you are willing to make a subtraction. And so this is a public policy episode. This is going to be the continuing episode of last week's episode, Navy Chill, This Ain't It Fam. You are tuned in to A Difference in Thought Season 2, Episode Number 5. Don't leave your tiff round me, the tax players of NH District Court. Now, uh, last week we talked about some safeguards, and one of the safeguards is a way that you can keep yourself from getting hustled out in these streets, is look at actually the character and the transparency um, around the people handling the deal. So we're going to just kind of reveal and go behind the scenes of who in the world are these people and whether we should trust them because, huh? Hold up, 80s baby, stand up right quick, huh? In case you didn't get the cultural reference. Huh? I said, after tonight, ha, don't leave your tiff round me, tax player for real. Put these funds in for real. Tom Farrell, that being. <laughs> okay, so you know what type of episode this is about to be. We're about to get to the lowdown of who is the ominous NH District Court. Should we leave these tiff funds around them unwatched? Do they have a history? With uh, playing with taxes, um, porting taxes where they shouldn't be, uh, what is TIF porting, uh, who are the players around them, what's the history around them. So right now, we are going to do uh, just a real deep dive into who is NH District Corp. Uh, and if some of you remember a while back, uh, what hit the city was Goldman sues the city via FOIA request to find out who is the ominous NH District Corp in this coliseum. Uh, so before we get into this, let's tie it into our original one. So if you were listening last week, we're talking about imagine yourself as a roommate in a situation where one of your roommates comes home and they have this great deal from their job that can triple their pay, but they have to take a portion of their pay uh, to pay uh, towards an investment endeavor, Right. And if you haven't listened, you guys have to listen to last week's episode. It's like required reading at this point or required listening, shall I say. Uh, and so for those who have listened, uh, imagine now that your roommate comes back with what seems to be great. And then you start Googling, you start researching the name of this new venture. And then you start to find out that it's some shady people in this process. So. Bring you back to current day, uh, maybe a little far back. Some of y'all remember uh, Paul Goldman, local uh, uh, lawyer and pain in the side of this administration, apparently, um, says that, hey, if we're going to be giving all this money to this ominous NH District Corp who won this bidding process, in air quotes, uh, regarding the RF, the request for proposal, uh, he said, maybe we should find out who they are. So they actually like 
sins of FOIA, which is the Freedom of Information Act, because the city wasn't trying to let us know who we were going to be giving all of this money to. And um, they said, well, it would hurt with our negotiations, so we don't want to reveal it. Anyways, Goldman's like, nah, fam, I'm going to need to know who that is. It sends a FOIA request and releases the goods to the people. Now, everybody, when they got the documents, they were kind of saying, oh, man, it's finna be juicy. We finna find out what the city's trying to be now. Trying to hide. Uh, and so it came out, and some people said, Oh, yeah, I don't know what the big deal is, it's just a bunch of names. Well, me being the nerd that I am, I say, Well, okay, well, let's look up some of these people to find out who in the world is actually NH District Court. Uh, and I gotta tell you, okay, so first of all, I'm gonna let y'all know a little something about this. This is uh, not like a personal like hit against any of these people. It's literally where I Googled some things. I found some things. I'm talking about lawsuits. I'm talking about Department of Justice lawsuits. I'm talking about uh, judges and arbitrators looking into some of these people and saying, ah, smelling like a hustle. Uh, and so my point is to bring up that after I share what I found, if y'all think that these people should be <laughs> let, let within a, a 800 mile distance, of uh, <laughs> taxpayer funds due to their history. Now, there are some people that I couldn't find dirt on. And I'm glad because we're handing that much money. I'm glad it's cool. Okay, so we're going to start off with that, right? And the reason why I call this a tax play is because I want to differentiate the people who are just kind of roped in this deal and then those who I think we should look a little bit more closer into. Now, uh, when I did my research, um, I couldn't find anything on um, Pamela Royal. Um, which is cool. She's just probably like living her best life. You know, she's a dermatologist, has uh, done a lot of things with the United Way and some other places as well. Couldn't find anything on her. And that's cool. Keep living your best life. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Uh, Monroe Harris. Um, only thing that I found on him was uh, some type of a lawsuit between someone that worked at his one of his um, uh, dental offices who wanted to operate under a different type of name, but the law said you can't do that anyway, so it was nothing fishy in there. Uh, and uh, shout out to him. Actually, we're actually running to him at um, the Determined Exhibit uh, opening. Shout out to um, Jamie Bosquet. Um, uh, and um, he said, hey, hey, man, I, we, we were talking with uh, Omolade, uh, Janine Bell, and he was saying, hey, man, we're about to reveal something. I think y'all are going to like it. He was talking about the Wiley Exhibit is about to go out. So again, if I don't see anything shady on people, I'm not going to, like, try and flip it and make it seem like, you know, play the Darth Vader music and say this is the Empire coming or something like that. But if I do find something shady, oh, we going to talk about it. So we're going to give a quick rundown of who is NH District Court. And then we're going to get into the, uh, who I like to call the tax players of NH District Court. Cue the music. <laughs> not a game out here. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> we've got the NH Foundation and NH Corporation. Uh, Tom Farrell, Mr. Dominion himself, Marty Barrington of Altria, Bill Goodwin, also maybe you knew him by the person that redeveloped the Jefferson. Uh, <laughs> we'll find out what else you might have known him for. Uh, and the NH District Corporation president, the main executor between the city ourselves, C.T. Hill. We've got the developer, Capital City Partners, Michael Hallmark, 
uh, Susan Eastridge. Definitely want to pay attention to the name Eastridge. Uh, and we've got uh, we've got SMG. We've got Municap, who is supposed to be the independent person running the numbers, but on the FOIA request, they're listed right here as all part of the gang. Uh, look, there are so many names that we can get into. I'm talking about Hunden Strategies and what their role has been in Mr. Hunden's relationship with the Director of Economic Development. Uh, and the reason why I'm stating all these things is because there, there seems to not be a dividing line between the city, the developers, NH District Corp, um, uh, and the people supposed to be making the, city, the decisions around uh, vetting and making sure this doesn't come back to bite us. Now, these are coming to the tax players that we're talking about. Now, what? Now, what? What are we talking about? So I, I'll tell you about some of the things that were super concerning to me. Okay, so when I was going through this uh, site, I literally um, said, "Okay, well, let me just do my due diligence." I'm, I'm, I'm googling uh, all these other types of things, and then I started to see a pattern. Okay, I started to see a pattern where. These players, when they come to the table, whenever they're about to redevelop something, whenever they're about to do a new build, a new uh, business venture or something like that, there's this always this kind of recurring theme between a city administration and them where they end up getting a tax break or end up not having to pay certain taxes. And within them, there's this kind of revolving window of organizations where there's this not not profit we care about the children, we care about the city, we care about the art, we care about all these other types of things. Then there's this uh, city entity that gives this money to this nonprofit. And then there's this kind of for-profit private entity that sits behind it that actually is controlling the money. Um, and things start to get a little bit shady. So let's just kick it off right with the president uh, of NH District Corp person known by the name of C.T. Hill. Now, is there has there been a um, has there been a trend with Mr. Hill in getting um, in getting money from the city? So C.T. Hill uh, started off working for Crestar. Now, Crestar was a local bank um, and one of the endeavors that they tried was uh, they had an endeavor called the Valentine Riverside Museum. Now, Style Weekly wrote about this a while back. Uh, and in 1995, the city of Richmond actually bought $9.1 million in debt owed uh, uh, at Crestar Ode. Um, the city agreed to absorb the debt. And as part of the deal, I think the city manager was Robert Bob. And convinced Crestar to move to a new headquarters just south of the James River. Now, what's important to know about this is that Crestar was bought out by SunTrust. SunTrust was based in Atlanta. And so I don't know if it was the whole like, we need these jobs and this trickle down, you need to stay here type of thing. So the city bought $9.1 million of debt uh, of Crestar. Now, Let's pause here. As my old uh, middle school basketball coach, Coach Hellman, would say when a referee would make a a funny play that seemed a little suspicious, he'd yell, who's related to who over here? Where we see, <laughs> now I don't know about you, uh, I ain't never had um, a city uh, buy 
but just pay off my debts like that. I mean, I don't know what you got to do to, to, to rack up debt over a failed endeavor in the city. Just be like, fam, I got you. So not only that, though. So when the city is trying to get uh, SunTrust to stay in, to be in Richmond and not remove Crestar, they actually did something which was a little mm, shady, right? So the Richmond Redevelopment and Housing Authority, created to provide housing assistance to low-income families, floated tens of millions of dollars in bonds to build a $65 million campus where they are located today. Uh, maybe it was a more of the redevelopment part, but, you know, when you think of the RHA and what's going on today, right, again, you see this player RHA also being in uh, a player in this, um, uh, now the mayor announcing that uh, when Gilpin gets, uh, you know, demolished, that there'll be room for Gilpin residents within this type of thing. You, but then you still see this relationship between the RHA and CT Hill and SunTrust, and now SunTrust is in another place where they're merging, BB&T, and SunTrust are supposed to merge. Now, uh, BB&T's building is outside of the TIF district, but guess what's inside? SunTrust. So if they decide that, hey, we want to kind of demolish this and build this, this can kind of come up, uh, and uh, and which would be, I guess, TIF portal, maybe using those funds in a different way. Uh, so here you see the RHA, and so we see $9.1 million just to pay off their debt. Tens of millions. I don't know how much that is. Okay. Tens of millions. That could be, that means that's at least $20 million in bonds that was uh, um, uh, released to them. Uh, now, you would think that someone who's taking money from the RHA, someone who's had their debts paid by that, would be, you know, just a little bit more careful or maybe, you know, make sure that all the people of Richmond are getting treated correctly, uh, the problem is, and the main problem that I have with C.T. Hill is, uh, so let's let's talk about his role at SunTrust, okay? So formerly Crestar, it's SunTrust. Uh, C.T. Hill was uh, the consumer banking executive overseeing mortgage and credit card operations uh, for the Mid-Atlantic division, okay? So remember this. SunTrust oversaw mortgage and credit card operations for the Mid-Atlantic division. Um, and here's where the funk hits the fan. Now, again, I say, I can only say what I've seen. There could be reasons why this is, but this is one of the things that, um, uh, messed with me. So in 2012, the Obama administration's department of justice filed a lawsuit against SunTrust. Mid-Atlantic region, because their mortgage uh, portion of their business division was applying a racial discriminatory fee to black people that have the same credit, good credit scores as white people. Now, SunTrust was doing this for black and Latinx people in different places. But when it came to Richmond, they were doing that thing, the black people. So when black people said, hey, we want to start our own neighborhood, we want to buy these homes, our credit score is just as good as white people, that there was a fee that SunTrust, Mid-Atlantic Mortgage Department, charged black people that they did not charge white people. And the Obama administration's Department of Justice found it to be racially discriminatory. So they had to pay back, I think it was around $20 million back for the people that they robbed. And they had at least done this from 2005 to 2009. Um, 
all under CT Hill's watch. Uh, and, and so two agreements, right? They settled. And they said, oh, we ain't do nothing. But they paid that money back, though. And they had to make an agreement to make internal changes. So pay back the $20 million, make internal changes. Now, this whole DOJ announcement happens in May of 2012. So you want to take a, just a guess when this whole place where they were supposed to make internal changes... You want to guess who happened to retire in February 2012? C.T. Hill. Now, maybe, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be the super optimist. Maybe C.T. Hill said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you guys have been doing this. I don't know. I'm giving them this. <laughs> super disrespectful. <laughs> I don't know why you guys have been doing this. I can't be down with this on my good name. I'm retiring. Could be. Or it could be that since this was happening for years, Multiple years, we know at least five, under his department, under mortgages, in his division that he oversaw. Could be that C.T. Hill had something to do with this, or at least was aware of it, and that he wasn't part of the internal changes that had to go. So, <laughs> now, the reason I say this is because when C.T. Hill, oh, oh C.T. Hill, Union Hill, Navy, no, I'm joking, okay. Anyways, when C.T. Hill says, I... When in a district court, as a president in a district court, they said, we just, oh, we just care so much about what happened to Navy Hill in that black neighborhood. We just want to make it right. When, until he was stopped by the Department of Justice Center, he was, uh, of Justice Department, he was literally charging black people a racial discriminatory fee, charging them more, almost penalizing them to start their own neighborhoods. But he wants to save the neighborhood way back then. That's the type of stuff that makes me want to say, uh, and it's kind of also when you've received all this tens of millions of dollars, the city's paid off your debt, tens of million dollars from RHA, right? Which is used like low income housing and has a lot of uh, 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 black people housed within their properties. That's how you were able to stay within your position and, and stay within Richmond State Local. And then after all that tens of million dollars, you still go around and start at least your division, starts charging black people more money? <sighs> that is, um, that's troubling, at least to me. Uh, and again, we see that when C.T. Hill and SunTrust wants to build a new, gets bought out or merged, that they, whenever they proceed forward, that it seems that the Richmond Redevelopment Housing Authority seems to appear and give them some type of tax break involved with this, and so seeing that the RHA still is having a having a growing role as is being revealed uh, into what's going on with Gilpin Court and things like this as well, it seems that this formula is seeming to be activated. And now when SunTrust wants to merge with BB&T, SunTrust being within the 10th district, I wouldn't be surprised if SunTrust, you know, wants to redevelop a building to, for the new truest building would be in this 10th district. And some of that... Um, uh, money from the TIF district might go towards that or just leave them a tax relief where they don't have to pay towards it. So, um, uh, especially with what Rob Hunden <laughs> said to Kim Larson and saying that uh, they maybe some people within this district, we don't want to just reserve it to the project, maybe people in the district want to get something off the ground and running. So, these are all real possibilities of things to think about. And so now we're going to pr uh, proceed to our next member of NH District Court. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> Anyways, up next, we have William H. Goodwin, Jr. 
uh, probably known around town as Bill Goodwin. I won't say no around town, like, okay, but yeah, probably known around town as <laughs> Bill Goodwin. Um, uh, probably best known for uh, remodeling the Jefferson Hotel, bringing that back up to speed. Um, so, uh, the Daily Progress uh, in uh, 2014 wrote an article called the McDonald Failure to Disclose Goodwin Gift Could Bolster Prosecution's uh, uh, Case. So, what case are they talking about? Now, <clears throat> living in Virginia in recent times, I'm sure we are quite comfortable. Uh, oh, not, I wouldn't say comfortable. Wait a minute. No. Uh, familiar <laughs> with governors mired in scandal. Uh, uh, and so, Governor McDonald, uh, during his term, it was the, the, the case... Uh, that they gave him was a probably like a form of bribery. He was taking gifts, and it seemed that he was doing political favors from people that he had given these gifts to. Now, uh, ultimately, uh, it seemed that his wife was the main conspirator with this, and uh, his charges, actually, I think the Supreme Court actually uh, dropped them later on. But there was a great concern around uh, whether pay-to-play was taking place during this. Um, also, uh, I did a talk with Governor McDonald, I don't think, earlier this year. Um, uh, we were talking to, uh, I think, Virginia Bankers Association on the history of redlining, uh, what um, banks could do to fill the vacuum of uh, just access to good capital for black communities. Um, all that being said, uh, Bill Goodwin. So in the midst of all this trial, all these people are where, where the prosecutors are examining and saying, huh, here's this person, they paid something, and this kind of came out of it. Uh, out of this was uh, a trip that gov- that um, Bill Goodwin, uh, so he owns this South Carolina Kiowa Golf Resort. Uh, and in May 2012, he gifted a vacation to Governor McDonald which was worth around $23,000, even though Governor McDonald, I think, only listed it as about $900, right? Uh, and the crazy thing about this is that uh, it would have been legal if he had just listed it, but he listed it as $900, to, I guess, to, to change this. So what was wrong with it? Here's the thing that people thought was a little shady. So apparently, um, uh, this happens in May 2012, and if you guys remember a while back, I think her name was Teresa Sullivan, uh, the UVA president, there was a there was an attempt to oust her from the university. Uh, in the midst, in the middle of this uh, uh, chaos, um, McDonald named Goodwin a special advisor to the UVA board in January 2013. So he gets this vacation, and um, he gets this vacation, and then it seems that. Uh, he's placed on the board at UVA or it's uh, restored or something of that. Uh, uh, his place is restored on the board. So he, he gives his gift. McDonald puts him on the board. And that's where these prosecutors are starting to say, ah, uh, this is starting to look a little shady. So when they actually started to look at all of the UVA board members, um, actually uh, of the UVA board, 17 members, 14 had contributed in some way to McDonald. Ten members had donated more than ten thousand each, and two, being Goodwin, Bill Goodwin, and Marvin Gilliam Jr., donated six figures apiece. So it looked like, um, so Goodwin was uh, uh, had a lot of donations that he had given to various candidates. I think it said uh, nearly one point two million to various PACs and candidates. 
uh, and he had given $199,500 to McDonald, all before being appointed to the board for a second time. Um, Gooden had also donated um, uh, $51,800 from 1993 to 1994 to form the Governor George Allen before serving on the UVA board from 96 to 2004. And so there's a great concern around whether Bill Goodwin, in the midst of this, was engaging in pay-to-play politics. Um, you can take that as you may, but again, we are we are talking about um, when, when, who we are entrusting the next three decades of our economy uh, to. Uh, and so when someone is engaging in a pay-to-play type of uh, uh, ethic, uh, it does raise concerns around the motivations of those who are pursuing this project, whether there is uh, some foul play at work. Also, you have to want... Also, what uh, raised uh, my awareness that I thought was a little interesting as well is that Goodwin... Um, Goodwin had, uh, so July of this year, July 12th, 2019, Bill Goodwin's company just acquired a metal manufacturing business called Service Center Metals. Um, now an affiliate, uh, a, a group of his, Riverstone Group LLC, bought a majority ownership stake in the company, which manufactures aluminum extrusions used in markets such as construction, transportation, equipment, and machinery. Now, I don't. I wouldn't say this is full Martha Stewart, uh, <laughs> but when you know that there is going to be a huge boom or huge need for some type of development to be happening, and you kind of know beforehand, you can either buy something or trade or other types of things. There are some ethical things around that uh, as well. And seeing as though um, I think this was actually prior to the mayor presenting the papers that they were going to go forward with this. Um, he buys an aluminum extrusion uh, company used specifically in construction. Um, so again, we have this um, pay-to-play kind of concern of saying that uh, are you uh, using uh, your money as an influence over decision makers to push what you want? Uh, and so that's 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 what I have on Bill Goodwin. Again, I'm not going to try and stretch this to be more than it is. But again, these were the types of things that I had uh, serious concerns about. Up next, we have Marty Barrington, uh, CEO or I think former CEO of Altria, formerly Philip Morris. Uh, and so... Uh, there's very lots of things we can highlight around uh, Marty, and I think we're going to do this. A, I'm going to also pinpoint a little bit later too around this for-profit, not-for-profit setup, and how this has been used. Because you have to remember, there's a not-for-profit, for-profit setup also for Navy Hill as well, and how this has used to hide funds and ask for the city to uh, pay for things that the for-profit could have. All right, well, I don't want to give it away, but. Uh, so Marty Barrington. Okay. So one, one thing I think that is interesting to sell around here is, uh, the Altria theater renovation. Okay. So now the Altria theater renovation, uh, was funded with $31 million in historic tax credits, $18 million in private donations, and $14 million from the city of Richmond. 
and so Mayor Dwight Jones at the time um, took money from Richmond Metropolitan Transportation Authority to build the Altria Theater. Now, there's a whole situation around this, and this has been this is this is one of the, the ones that I'm still looking into. But I'll kind of give you guys what I've uh, been seeing from this so far. So, um, I believe that the year so so the year prior to this all of this money coming through, so there was an agreement um, by uh, Richmond Metro uh, Metro Transit Authority. Uh, that there was there was uh, due to an investment in an older uh, process that sixty million dollars was going to be transferred from Richmond Metropolitan Authority over to uh, uh, the city of Richmond. Now there was don't, when this was originally discovered, a person that was over the board had sat on the board served for 28 years i'm trying to remember his name he was a former parole um i think he was a former parole judge see if i can find um find his name here but um he was uh had been over you know the 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 chair so let me tell you about the 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 setup of richard metropolitan transit authority okay so it was four members from Richmond, two members from Chesterfield, two members from Henrico. So I believe at the time it was Manoli Lupasi and Tyrone Nelson were actually uh, working, were actually working and uh, trying to get more representation on the board so that it wasn't just all Richmond people. Uh, and so they had actually uh, gotten down to the point where they were going to propose legislation commanding that. There are more. There's more representation um, from Chester, from Chesterfield and Henrico since it's the metro area instead of just four people from Richmond. And so they had said, okay, well, well, let, let's well, let's work it out. Let's have a ceasefire. Okay, we're gonna have a ceasefire. Don't push that through. Don't worry. We'll work it out. Uh, we'll have more representation. We'll figure it out. So while they so they they you know assume that they're gonna keep their word and say, okay, all right, well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pull this back. Hopefully, we'll be able to work it out, and then we'll be able to, um, and then we'll be able to um, have a conversation about this. So, much to their surprise, there is a vote to um, change who the chair of this has been. And so, the person who was over there for 28 years gets voted off. Going into the year that's going to decide how the sixty million is going to be released or used, and guess who gets voted in his stead? Carlos Brown. Now, some of you are saying, "Wait a minute, I've heard that name recently in the papers." Carlos Brown. Now, if you remember, uh, Selena Cuffy Glenn, um, she was the chief administrative officer uh, of the city, but she was hiring all of her. Uh, family members, giving them exorbitant amounts of pay above what other people would have. And what I think when the funk hit the fan is when they found out that her nephew was working out the deal on the other end for Navy Hill. And what was that nephew's name? Carlos Brown. So Carlos Brown comes in and in the middle of the ceasefire, uh, changes positions um, and um, 
becomes the chair of this and releases this all of this $60 million over to Dwight Jones and the city of Richmond. Also important to note, Carlos Brown worked for Dominion at the time. Uh, and not, not to take anything from Carlos, but I have to state, uh, the year after he made this move, he also received a promotion at Dominion. Okay, now he's, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's a hardworking person as well. So again, I'm not trying to take anything from him, but I just got to say, that seems a little shady. Okay, so, so when uh, Marty Barrington comes to the city and says, we want to, you know, remake, we want to make this the Altria Theater. Uh, Dwight Jones, and I quote, says, uh, in a form of budgetary magic. Do you believe in magic? I don't when it comes to budget. In a budgetary magic, we were able to get this money and now we're going to give $14 million over to Altria Theater. Now, what's important to note, the makeup of this. So, uh, our 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 pack is what it was called back then uh, for Richmond Performing Arts. Um, uh, the chair of that at the time, the chair of the t- of that at the time was Tom Farrell. Okay, so let's talk about this, right? So we got Tom Farrell, who's the chair of our pack at the time, uh, which was involved in this Austria Theater renovation. We got Marty Barrington who's the CEO of Altria at the time. And do you want to take a quick guess on who uh, provided the loan for all of this? Your boy C.T. Hill at SunTrust. So see, you see this trifecta going on here. And um, someone from Dominion, Carlos Brown, is in the midst of this ceasefire, is, is put into the position to be the head of RMA, to decide where all this money goes. Richmond gets all the money with Dwight C. Jones during a time when they're trying to build this Altria Theater. And Carlos Brown, who works for Tom Farrell, who is, I know this is like a spinning, <laughs> Tom, who, <laughs> who works for Tom Farrell at Dominion. This deal goes through. He makes that decision. And next year he gets a promotion. And in budgetary magic and $14 million from the art, from the Richmond Metropolitan Transit Authority, that is how that is paid for the Altria Theater. But that's not it, my friends. City Council actually increased the meal tax from 5% to 6% in 2003. So if all of y'all are saying, why is the meal tax so high? Well, they, they raised it, da-da-da-da-da. We raised it for schools, but who raised it before that? City Council raised it not to build schools, but to build this downtown art center that had the good old trifecta of Marty Barrington, C.T. Hill, and uh, Tom Farrell, okay? Uh, And so this deal happens, and then let's fast forward to 2014. So let's talk about the setup that has here. And there were several, I think Richmond Magazine did a series of articles around this that was talking about the funding structure of this Altria Theater, right? So you had Center Stage, which was kind of the nonprofit, who said um, Center Stage uh, was the nonprofit, and then you had RPAC, and then you had Altria, and all these other people that were involved in this. Uh, and so, city council, uh, so at the end of the tax bill in 2014, turns out that, that uh, Altria owes $1.75 million tax bill. And they come to city council and they say, Oh, you know, we're here for the kids. 
We just want the kids to have cheap tickets. We just want this to be accessible for all Richmonders. But if we pay this $1.75 million, I don't know how we can bless the churn and all the people that deserve to have a great access to the arts. I don't know how we're going to do it, City Council. Now, shout out to Agilesto. Uh, Councilman Agilesto also said he didn't feel comfortable with doing this. Uh, but the rest of the city council voted and they paid this $1.75 million tax bill for Altria. Only to find out that when they actually probed and audited into the for-profit wing of the, of, uh, the Altria Theater, that there was a surplus of $15 million that year, Right? So we have the city claim close to $2 million because the nonprofit face is saying, oh, it's accessible, it's about the kids, it's about this, it's about that. When really they were just getting a break um, when they could have paid it with the for-profit uh, section of that as well. And so you see meals taxes coming through. You see um, uh, uh, bodies of uh, uh, local uh, local legislative bodies being shifted to make decisions all funneled through a black mayor to give money to C.T. Hill, uh, Marty Barrington, and Tom Farrell. So again, when I'm, saw, when I'm saying I'm bringing these things up, it's not that I'm saying if you see Marty out on the streets, you let him know. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying if we, if this, if we have the same players at the table now asking for more things, and we know that this this has been their deal, and whenever there's a redevelopment happening, this is the thing that it is. The thing is, if they're saying it's about jobs, they're saying about it's about all these other things. But you see a pattern that is actually that that is that's what they uh, feign and 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 say that it's about. When really behind the scenes, when you follow where the money is, it's really about something else. And why they're making promises, but I haven't seen a community benefits agreement or community labor agreement or anything to actually make that true. That's a whole nother situation as well. Uh, and so these are the reasons why I'm, I'm doing these so that you can start to see the other types of things. So now we literally have, so now we literally have, oh, and by the way, you want to know, and so now RPAC is called RPAA, and you want to guess who's the head of that now? C.T. Hill. So we have C.T. Hill. We have Marty Barrington. We have um, uh, Tom Farrell. And we have Carlos Brown. And a new black mayor, all reunited in a time where they're trying to build something else. And I think it's just important that we have the receipts and we know the patterns of what this is, just so that, as we said in the first episode, like the verse in Ezekiel, uh, where he's told to dig behind the wall, where these people are up front saying one thing. When you dig behind the wall and see the patterns of what they're actually doing, they're actually building something different, even though they're giving this um, appearance of wanting to show up in do good. And so I'm just saying, you know, I'm not going to do the thinking for you. But if you're, if you're concerned about this like I was when I saw it, I think you should make your voice known. Uh, and now moving on to the next member of NH District Court. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the number one tax player. <laughs> <laughs> District Court coming up next. None other than Tom Farrell of Dominion Energy. Okay, so um, 
right off the bat, look, this is a lot, okay? This is a lot. A brother got carpal tunnel scrolling through the list, but we gonna try and make it concise for the people here. Uh, number one, and this is this is not new news, okay? It's well known that Dominion charges approximately $300 million uh, each year in just overages, right, uh, uh, to customers. Um, I think last year, I think they showed, I read an article that talked about last year was around $272 million, um, which pretty much is, um, there's a level that actually of service that Dominion actually gives you, and then uh, they just charge more. It's not that you're getting anything. They just charge you more because they know you ain't going to go out and read your reader, read your meter and say, uh, you know what? Uh, it shouldn't be 220 this month. It should be 170. Um, so they got into a whole situation with the SEC uh, around this. Um, and so uh, the, the following year, they actually made some donations to some of to some politicians and also to some politicians nonprofits in a large amount and to convince them to say, you know what, maybe the SEC can't make us actually refund this. So instead, we're going to, uh, instead of having us refund it, let's just say that um, we can increase our energy efficiency spending. Green's the new way, right? Green New Deal. Well, it wasn't back then, but you understand what I'm saying. We'll just go green. We ain't going to give back the green. We just going to, you just going to prepare for the green, green energy, but you ain't going to get these green bills back. So then these people that they donate to and they and they lobby through pretty much, I wouldn't say neuter, but like it, it, it takes the SEC down to a level where they can't actually make Dominion refund the money that they taken from us. You know what I'm saying? So that's this whole thing with like Dominion, right? That is for me. They want the city to give all this money, which, which, but they could just take the overage. They literally could take the overages that they're overcharging all of us, uh, and just use that for money. Like, why we got to pay for y'all when y'all are stealing from people, literally. So, anyways, but here's that's not it though. So that's so so they're like, all right, if you want to devote to scale down energy efficiency spending, all right, go ahead and do that. You can do that. But that, but here's the thing. Dominion still then gets into this deal and says, ah, you know what? We ain't really trying to spend that much, so we're going to scale back a little bit on what we said. And it's like, fam, first of all, energy efficiency is the future of your industry, right? So let me get this. You get to steal from the citizens of Virginia, not have to pay them back, but instead, you get to invest that money in the future infrastructure for the new wave in your industry. And then on top of that, you don't even want to do it for that. And then you get to scale back. So you robbing us to pay for your future. That makes no sense to me. But then, but it's Dominion and your boy Tom Farrell out here doing what he does. Um, and so let me see how you the hustle is not just within the bounds of Virginia. So. Uh, and uh, uh, Dominion Energy promised rebate checks for South Carolina residents because um, they were uh, acquiring, um, they were acquiring, uh, or, or it was just comp- competing with, uh, either competing with or acquiring with uh, a Southern South Carolina power company. Uh, and they promised, and they ran TV ads, they did all these other types of things, that uh, they would give each person a $1,000 rebate check who switched over and all these other types of things, right? 
Um, and this is for more than 700,000 customers, right? That's what they said. But it turned out that uh, them joints wasn't were not in the mail. <laughs> uh, there actually was a letter. Somebody wrote to a newspaper and was like, man, I'm waiting for this check, man, and it's not coming. You know, he was not happy with Dominion because during the merger, right, Dominion executives um, uh, decided instead, well, instead of giving the money that we said we were going to do, right, we're going to decide to just give lower power rates over 20 years by roughly $20 a month instead of the rebate, right? So, but you got to understand, this is the person that deals in overages. Now, I'm not sure if they're doing overages there, but like, so they literally could overcharge somebody and say, I'm giving you $20 off of the overcharge instead of giving the money that I promised you. And you see this trend, right? Dominion, when they want to get something done, they say all these things. And then when it's time to actually do that, if it's costing them money, then they change up the game. And it's, oh, okay, well, I'm not actually going to use it for that. Uh, and okay, I'm not actually going to give you this, even though this is why you entered into agreement with me. Uh, and so Dominion has this, um, way of doing this, right? So even even uh, Dominion Energy grossly underprojecting costs by about two billion dollars for the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, um, uh, uh, and the Observer uh, also reported a projected cost increase of two point three billion dollars above the initial projections. Estimated cost between four point five billion and five billion when first announced. The Atlantic Coast pipeline is was not was later projected to cost between seven to seven point five billion. So now it's like, man, now we can't believe your projections. So when you say, hey, you know what? Um, this is what it's gonna be. It's not gonna be that, you know, it's, it's billions, but it's light billions. You know what I'm saying we're talking about four to five billion. And then later on, the cost ends up being seven to seven point five billion dollars. It's like you can't even you can't even get uh so it seems that up front. They tell a different story to get into what they want to get into. And then once they're into it, they flip the script. So again, if you see this pattern happening and you have people coming, and this is what Dr. Cory Walker on the Independent Commission had to call, um, had to call uh, Leonard Sledge and the Stoney administration the carpet on is saying, y'all are running around the city telling people this is going to go towards schools and this is going to go towards all these other types of things when you cannot do that. That is by a resolution and not by an ordinance. But y'all running around here run, acting like it's the gospel truth and you don't even have these types of things, right? Or people running around talking about the jobs people are going to get. But there's no community benefit agreement. There's no community labor agreement. There's nothing to hold them past what this current administration or this current city council does. But we're talking about three decades. So getting Dominion to commit to what they officially said seems to be a pattern. And as... Sister Maya Angelou told us all, when somebody shows you who they are the first time, turn to your neighbor and say the first time, huh? Believe it. <laughs> so, um, so I wish that was all that I had to say around this because that's already a deal breaker for me. Um, uh, is that, uh, any even private land for the ACP's construction, Lance Coast Pipeline, was being seized via eminent domain uh, process to line the pockets of greedy corporations. Um, and then owner of the seized lands are being promised compensation once the pipeline is completed, which, you know, but if it's already done, uh, uh, it's not really a, a, a fair situation to those people. Here's the one that really got me. 
Okay. So in 2019, in Dominion's report to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, also known as FERC, F-E-R-C, um, uh, Dominion left out and didn't do process of surveying or mentioning the Union Hill neighborhood in his application to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to build a pipeline. If y'all want to know about what is the Atlantic Coast pipeline, what is Dominion's role in this, um, my sister Chelsea uh, Higgs Wise on Race Capital, and shout out to Cat Modlin Jackson, uh, <laughs> did a great episode on Race Capital today talking about Union Hill and the good brother... Um, uh, Richard Walker was on there as well, as well as, and shout out to you, Whitney. She has been giving me recordings of meetings and just giving me all sorts of things to help me inform y'all. So it's a great discussion. So if y'all want to learn more about the Latin School Pipeline, definitely check that out. That should be on Race Capital's um, SoundCloud, R-A-C-E-C-A-P-I-T-O-L. Um, uh, and so here's the thing. They left out Union Hill, and you want to know like why was it why was that done? It's because um, there were freedmen cemeteries and unmarked slave burials on the site where Dominion wants to build its compressor station in Union Hill, and in Charlottesville there was something called the Charlottesville Twenty Nine Bypass Project, which was halted by just one slave burial site. So someone so Dominion's like yo, we want to bring the pipeline through here. But, oh, look, in Charlottesville, it was one slave burial site, and that joint got shut down. So, you know what? We just going to leave Union Hill off of the report to the, Fed, to the uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission because if they found one and shut down Charlottesville, it's a whole bunch up here in Union Hill, so we just going to slide that off there, right? Um, and... Um, one person said, uh, uh, Finley Brooke, I believe, I believe she teaches at U of R, but she said, um, she noted that Dominion's underreporting of the Union Hill population was, in her opinion, uh, not an accident and that this inaccurate information is a tactic that has been used successfully many times. Uh, you can go to cville.com. They did, a, they did um, an article on it called Compressor Anxiety where you can read about all of that Um Right there. Um, and so, and, and again, as we're talking about, we were talking about earlier with the SEC that uh, new 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 legislation on electricity rates followed a Wagner bill signed in 2015 by Democratic Governor McAuliffe, who's probably going to run again, um, that froze base electricity rates for Dominion and Appalachian Power Company and temporarily stopped the State Corporation Commission's ability to order refunds if the public service monopolies earned above their agreed upon rate of return. Um, the laws is in hundreds of millions and over. So again, we see this pay to play. We see this pay to play. Okay, we see uh, the donations, the people that they donate to, and when they're in hard trouble or just want to get something done, they then turn those people and say, "I ain't give to y'all for nothing." And then, you know, things get moved out of the way um, for them. Um, and so when when we're talking about when we're talking about the next three decades, okay? Add 30 years to your age, add 30 years to your children's age. That's how long we're going to be embroiled with these people. It is of the utmost importance that we do our due diligence about who we're doing because when you're striking a deal, another important part of a deal 
is that a deal is only as great as the person on the other side of the table. So when we have people in this trifecta of people that 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 have uh, that that pay to get the results they want, that make promises and later change on them, uh, that say something up front and or give a, a better paint a better picture up front to get people into deals, and then once they're into deals, they don't they don't follow up on the end or they make changes to these things or just dishonestly steal from people and then change the rules as they play. You do not want to get into a into a deal with um, a bunch of people that change the rules as you go. Especially, so at the last independent commission, and I'm glad I believe uh, his name was Suzanne Long brought this up, who's on the independent commission. Uh, we both raised the concern of that there is uh, that there is I think it's 4.28 is the um, uh, is the ordinance that talks about the developer can make. Uh, can make a master plan change uh, without the approval of the city. And if they want to make a material change, like a fundamental change, that they just have to put it in writing to the city. And if the city doesn't respond back in 30 days, then it is deemed approved, right? So this was the same time that Carlos Brown had his auntie as the CAO, and that's exactly who they said would have to have made that. So that means that Carlos could have told his auntie, hey, auntie, so Auntie Selena, we, we we finna had this change from my bosses over at Dominion. Just look the other way and, and don't you know? Just make sure that it gets lost in thirty days. And it, th- these this is like a real reality. Have <laughs> that expose not come out. So, uh, or that the city could just be overstaffed, uh, understaffed, and not be able to get to in a day. But if they get it to day thirty one, then the developer and all these people can literally make whatever change they want to all of these things. These are the types of things that we're talking about. And so when we expand um, outside of just uh, the tax players, right, then we also have to look at the history of people such as Michael Hallmark and what type of funds have they used in building things such as the Staples Center. We have to look into Concord Eastridge and Susan Eastridge and a lawsuit that they've been embroiled in. And um, at this point... I might have to make this a two-part series. But you know what? It's important. I definitely want to get into uh, Concord Eastridge and Michael Hallmark because when you talk about index district court, we have, you know, your tax players and all these people in here. And then you have Capital City Development, which is Concord Eastridge and Future Cities. Future Cities is pretty much Michael Hallmark's program. And then Concord Eastridge is uh, Susan Eastridge. So let's get into their role as we um, discuss uh, further who we're actually going into this deal with. Now, we have a whole other podcast that's going to talk about the process, but we got to talk about the people. So let's talk about Michael Hallmark, all right? Uh, Now, Michael Hallmark, I think probably one of his biggest uh, endeavors that he built was the Staples Center in Los Angeles. So I want to say, give a quick breakdown on what was involved in that. Now, uh, the person, the the billionaire who was behind that was a billionaire by the name of Philip Anschultz. Um, and right from the take, I mean, this dude's got like two books on Amazon uh, <laughs> on celebrating people that colonized the West. Uh, so not a good start for me. But 
the LA, LA, LA Weekly had a great article on this called Los Angeles Corporate Welfare, Ritz, Carlton, and AEG. Um, so Los Angeles in 1997 cleared acres of blighted downtown area, blighted in the heaviest quotes, to build uh, lucrative ventures for billionaire Philip Anschultz. Um Again, with a deal signed on October 31st, 1997, City Hall lavished millions of dollars in subsidies and tax credits on companies owned by Denver-based billionaire Philip Ann Schultz to fund um, uh, the downtown dream of Los Angeles. Uh, City officials forced the poor out of 27 blighted acres of downtown around Figaro, uh, Figueroa Boulevard and replaced the aging neighborhood with lucrative ventures um so la seized land by eminent domain due to blight and sold it to aeg ventures to build the staples center michael hallmark was hired by philip anschultz to renovate the staples center for 403 million dollars um only six years after it opened now problems with that now we're gonna in the next episode get ready for the next episode sorry uh in the next episode we're gonna talk about the process of tiff and there is uh an intriguing article that was sent to me by um ben Teresa. shout out to him um that talks about um that all the consultants and de- uh developers that were under urban renewal that worked under urban renewal as or as james Baldwin called it negro removal uh, as soon as that uh, shut up shop, uh, they just turned to those same cities and started proposing TIF increment financing or TIF type of financing because they were used to what do you do with blighted properties, right? Uh, and so uh, his biggest endeavor was rooted in displacing poor people. Uh, I wish I could say that's the worst part of it. But when, again, we talk about public-private partnerships and using public subsidies typically for the vulnerable and giving them to corporations, um, uh, huge additional subsidies uh, were used in building uh, the Staples Arena, okay? Um, so uh, this, is, this, is a, uh, this is the LA Times wrote about this, uh, and it talks about, with a push from uh, Vila... Vila Raigosa and Perry, $50 million was being taken from the State Housing and Emergency Shelter Trust Fund of 2006. Bonds approved by California voters to finance housing for battered women and the poor. Or so voters thought. But in Los Angeles City Hall, uh, um, that $50 million from that bond, a large chunk of which they plan to spend on sidewalk and street amenities to address a figure row above downtown, which feeds directly into AG's publicly subsidized lands. So $50 million, which was supposed to be used for housing for battered women and the poor, um, was taken and given to Michael Hallmark to renovate and do the Staples Arena. So we see um, the poor pushed out. And and I was listening to his, uh, I think it was a third district meeting with Chris Hilbert, the one where the mayor was at, 
where he said myth number one about Navy Hill, no one's going to be displaced because no one lives in that specific area. But if you zoom out and tonight as I speak, there is a uh, RHA meeting talking about um, uh, uh, plans of forming Gilpin into mixed use development, which is directly adjacent to this project in which I believe is the pathway forward to future affordable housing. But sure, Michael Allmark, nobody's being displaced. But given your history, I don't think those words mean much. Um, uh, and then taking $50 million that was supposed to be used for battered women and the poor. I mean, let me calm down. Woosa. This is the type of stuff that I'm talking about. All right. This is the character of the people that we are entering into a deal and a space with. So then we start to look at what happens if this project wants to expand uh, and the way that the RHA has been operating and expediting papers through city council without public comment uh, regarding uh, the developments around Gilpin. Um, and with this now being um, uh, possibly connected to uh, Navy Hill, uh, we have to take this into account before we uh, uh, just enter into this. This is a this is a moral ethical argument. Of the, are, is this the type? Are these the type of people you want to enter into uh, business with? And it's it's highly concerning to me, to say the very least. And last but not least, as we draw to a close, I know this is longer than the last one, but I'm going to try and keep it a little bit shorter. And I promise I'll go more into this into the next episode because it does deal with uh, potential for something called TIF porting. Uh, so we have uh, Concord Eastridge and we're, and mostly who you've been seeing. Uh, I, I think I first saw her at the school board meeting. Susan Eastridge. Um uh, is is of Concord Eastridge or if, under this case Capital City Developers. Now, if you're wondering, now what's up with all these names, man? We got Navy, Navy Hill District Foundation. We have Navy Hill District Corporation. We have Capital City uh, Partners. We got Capital City Developers. We got all these LLCs. What in the world is going on here? And so this was the concerning thing that I found out about Concord Eastridge. So back when her husband was alive. Uh, Con, uh, her husband handled kind of the construction side of the work and then she handled kind of the deals negotiating um, and at Concord Eastridge uh, this is something that I found humorous uh, that she states that she coordinates marketing and transactional strategies transactional strategies okay um, so in the midst of this merge so, so they decided hey you know what we could really kill the game if we really merged our companies. So they merged our companies. They merged their companies. Uh, but there was an associate there named Jeffrey Bays, B-E-I-Z-E. Uh, and you can actually uh, look up the court case, uh, B-A-I-Z, yeah, Bays versus Eastridge Companies. Now, Eastridge Companies uh, was the name of this before. And so Jeffrey Bays uh, is, was hired by Eastridge Companies to um, kind of set up these LLCs and kind of do this work for these schools that they were going to be building. And so uh, they had a, they had a, a LLC under which they were doing these types of schools. 
um, uh, these four LAUSD schools. Um, and so Bayes was promised, um, he created something called the uh, Natomas Project Entity, um, to, in which he did all this work and that he was promised to be a certain type of pay that would be done under this name. But instead of using an entity Bayes created to have ownership in, the Eastridge Companies created a new identity called the Eastridge Companies Natomas Development Corporation. And then they fired Bayes, right? Uh, and so Bayes sued the Eastridge Companies and three of their alter ego companies, right? So, so they had all these other companies they were operating under, right? Uh, but they were telling him, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be under Eastridge Company, Natomas Project, sure, go ahead and use this. But behind his back, they were setting up these other entities in which they were actually doing, funneling his uh, work uh, under, um, and then fired him and tried to not pay him for this. And so Bayes sues the Eastridge Companies, and the Eastridge Company had three alter ego setup companies, which are kind of like just doing work in other ways. Um, uh the Natomas Eastridge Public Facilities Corporation, the Eastridge Company's Educational Facilities Group, and, wait for it, Concord Eastridge. So Concord Eastridge was actually uh, a derivative, an alter ego of uh, the Eastridge companies when they were gone behind this person's back to do all this other type of work. Um, so Bayes sends copies of his judgment, um, uh, uh, sorry, so, so Bayes then uh, learns at during this, because he sues them, and so during this judge or the arbitration process, he learns that the Eastridge companies had assigned these four contracts to this alternative company when they were originally executed, meaning that they, the hustle started early, okay? Um, so and then, so as, as messed up as that is, this isn't even what really got me going, Okay. What was concerned about me is what they found out in the depositions and as they did these types of things. So they found out that all of these alter ego companies that were set up and supposed to be different, all of them were owned by the same individuals. Um, they had the same attorneys. They had the same address. They had the same employees, but they just were called different things so that um, they could you know, move around having to pay people. Uh, and the deposition testimony apparently admitted at the, at the arbitration demonstrated how money was funneled in between the Eastridge companies and their related alter ego entities, which would include Concord Eastridge. Documents in which Concord Eastridge, um, a company founded by the arbitrator to be a TC alter ego, asserted that it was a company developing the four LAUSD schools. So remember, who's supposed to be developing these schools? Bayes' company. But Concord Eastridge appeared and said that they were the ones that were the company that were developing these schools. And so the president of one was the CEO of another. The vice president of one was the vice president of another. The secretary of treasurer at one was the chief, uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, the chief officer of another one. Um, uh, and it was all owned by Susan Eastridge. And all these uh, different entities had the same lawyers, operated out of the same offices, uh, shared the same employees, but they were funneling money in between these. Okay, so they're supposed to be all separate things, but these things that were named as different things 
were actually funneling money in between them to avoid taxes or avoid other things. Ladies and gentlemen of Richmond, this is who is executing the deals and the private partner private public partnerships for this Navy Hill deal. Okay? Uh so I don't know who's going to be watching the money to make sure it gets where it gets to be because who knows if there's going to be money funneled in between uh, uh, Navy Hill Corporation and Navy Hill Foundation and Capital City Partners and Capital City Developers and all these other types of things. You see the same pattern of these different names being set up. Um, and and w- whether you're wondering if some of the patterns that you saw in there, so you notice how they said they have the same office spaces and all the other types of things is that. Well, guess what? When... Uh, C.T. Hill lists himself as the um, chief executor of Navy Hill District Corp. And you just want to take a guess on what he put his office address as? His office address is the Altria Theater. Where Martin Barrington is associated with. So here you see these same types of patterns. One place, different purposes, different names, same offices. Um, all these different names, money being funneled from here to there. We need to watch this process and we need to watch the people that are at the table. And again, if you don't believe me, you can find it all on case law. And I'm going to attach to this what I call the receipts. So if anybody is catching feelings and saying, oh, how could you say this? You don't have to believe me. Believe the journalist. Believe the Department of Justice. Believe uh, what they said at the press conference. Believe the case law. Believe what the federal courts have said. Again, this isn't personal. This is talking about the moral, uh, ethical integrity of the people we are entrusting the next 30 years of Richmond's economic development to. Okay? Um, And we're going to get in the next... And then the next one, I'm going to talk about um, Rob Hunden and Hunden Strategies and his relationship and how he trained uh, our current economic development uh, <laughs> lead. Uh, we're going to get into the process of TIFF, um, how consultants and all these other things all work out. But but as for right now, I think I've said more than enough for this time. Thank you to everybody that's been listening. I know this one's a little bit longer than the first one, but I wanted to get it done so that you all could have this information. And if you have any questions, please, uh, if you're in the Richmond area, come out this Saturday, 9 a.m. at the uh, police Richmond Police Training Academy, the second meeting for... Um, the second meeting for... Um, the Independent Navy Hill Independent Commission is going to be happening there as well. We're going to be reviewing, I think they're going to be reviewing the financial numbers that Municap presented, which by the way, Municap um, was also enrolled in a lawsuit that the ACLU brought against the city for them not doing uh, their due diligence. And there was actually an independent report uh, done by uh, a group called Build, actually hired a third party, a true independent, uh, a party to actually do an investigation and they actually found that some of the methodologies that they used were understating uh, impacts and that they didn't do enough market study and so all these other things are there as well so if you want to have more information about that please come out uh, on Saturday 9am Richmond Police Training Academy um, this has been um, season 2 
episode five. Don't leave your tiff around me, the tax players of Navy Hill District Court. Uh, thank you for listening, and as always, stay tuned. Um, thank you for listening. This is your host, Charlie Ray. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm here. Peace.